Do you feel a little bit in the dark when it comes to lighting? Lighting has changed and come a long way. So today we're going to break it all down and shine some light on it with lighting expert and consultant, Stacy Ruiz. Here we go. You're listening to Welcome Home to the Suburbs. Designing a new home to be your family's sanctuary can feel impossible during the stress of moving. In this podcast, interior designer Jill Kalman shares practical advice, design wisdom, and lifestyle tips for anyone moving to a new home. You'll learn all about the psychology of a well-designed home and how to survive the move and thrive in your new life. Say goodbye to overwhelm and hello to a home you love to come back to every single time. Here's your host, Jill Kalman. So today we are going to talk about lighting in your home. And it's something you might not think about till you've moved in and nightfall comes and you're in the dark. So today I've got Stacy Ruiz with me. She is a lighting professional based in New York, and she has been in the industry now for 33 years. She specializes in lighting design, specifications, installation, and she offers a unique vision to each job she completes while communicating between all teams involved in the project. As you're going to hear from Stacy today, utilizing the expertise and skills of a lighting professional can really make all the difference in the world. Whether you are a tradesperson, an integrator, a realtor, a homeowner, or an interior designer like myself, Stacy is a tremendous resource in her field. And lighting has become so complicated in some ways, or there's just so much knowledge really that having somebody like her is really an important part of the team. So I'm excited to be bringing her onto the podcast today and share her perspectives with you. So I look forward to the conversation. Grab your cup of coffee and come join us. Hi, Stacy. It's so good to have you here with me on the podcast today. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Jill. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I'm so excited because, you know, we had connected and I think that the area of lighting is such a good thing to talk about. And you as a consultant and that being your expertise is so important for people, I think, to educate them about because lighting plans, you know, can't always be left up to electricians, can't always be left to designers. And it's not to say that there aren't skill sets in those fields, but it really takes an expert in my belief. And even in design school, I learned about lighting. But as I said to you, I certainly wouldn't consider myself an expert. I have enough of an education so that I can work with somebody would like you and maybe understand the language. So I'm really happy that you're here because I think there's a lot that we can, you know, teach people today and open their eyes about. So thank you. For sure. Thank you. So I'll give you a minute just to kind of give a brief introduction as to what you do and maybe define, you know, what a lighting consultant does and exactly how you work. Why don't we start there? I would love to. Well, lighting designers and lighting consultants like myself offer a very unique vision to a job. And we basically do three things. We do design, which is laying out the plans. We do specification, which is picking the fixtures. And we do installation. We don't do the installation ourselves because we rely on the, you know, the licensed electoral contractors for the job to do the installation. But mm-hmm. Our value is the communication between mm-hmm. end users, dear designers, architects, design team members, and mm-hmm. the electrician. So, and that's where we start. To start with the design 
process, we go to the space, I go to the space, and according to the existing conditions, according to the existing electrical, according to the architecture, according to the style, according to the budget, mm-hmm. of course, there's always a budget, I talk about all the different lighting concepts. So we mm-hmm. talk about what recessed lights do and what they don't do. And we talk mm-hmm. about you know, architectural wall sconces and track lighting and linear LEDs, which mm-hmm. are becoming part of the repertoire of architectural lighting design for yeah. residential application. Lots mm-hmm. of creative ways to use that. And, you know, during that meeting, we talk about the concepts and where they land. And of course, the decorative aspects of the job, which we lean on your team, the interior design team, takes care of, you know, that I'm sort of contributing to the architectural, the interior designers are contributing to the decorative, and we collaborate that way. Yes, and there's a huge technical part too. And I believe the technical part is even a little more complex now. And when I refer to that, I mean, you know, the lamp. So lamp in lighting terms is the bulb in layman terms. So lamping has changed a lot. The kinds of bulbs that are available and the kind of light they give off, the marketplace now has so many different choices. And, you know, how we light a space properly and allow enough light in is really important. So I I think even more so your role is even more important because I think that the marketplace just has so many options and it's really important to figure out what option is the correct application. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. The market is actually inundated. Yeah. And what I pride myself in is the curation of the marketplace specifically Mm -hmm. for residential application. So I go to the shows in Frankfurt, Germany. I go to the shows in Milan and I go to um, Education, which is our wonderful show here in New York City and uh, Light Fair. And I scour the market Mm -hmm. and keep the residential market in mind, meaning I'm not specifying commercial grade fixtures for a typical home. And Mm -hmm. sometimes there's a client that wants that, but Mm -hmm. there is a whole market. When we talk about lamping, so lamping has come also a long way. Mm -hmm. Remember when a recessed light would come in three parts, you would have a housing that goes into the ceiling, the trim around the edge and the light bulb, and you replace the light bulb here. Now they come in one part. Mm-hmm. Or maybe two if you're mudding it in, which is another whole conversation. But this is called chip on board. There, mm-hmm. is, there are no longer light bulbs to replace. You're specifying all architectural fixtures in general for, for many years, let's say maybe a solid five, six, seven years, are now chip on board, meaning you pick the color temperature, you pick the beam spread, you pick the CRI, which is the crispness of the light, and the optics, which is the lensing, and yep. then you rock and roll. There's no, there's no maintenance anymore. There's no heat. There's no maintenance. And this is the way lighting design has come very creative. So these choices have to be made. And it's not just a one stop, you know, collaboration. It's, it's a teamwork. It is. And, you know, the factors have to be involved, okay, in that room based on the ceiling height, based on the natural light or lack of how many of those do we need? How far spaced apart should they be? I mean, there's a lot of different decisions that need to be made. So I, I, again, I find your role very, very important. And so having said that, let's get into some of the specifics. There's all kinds of different ways we need light. We need light for what I call task lighting. So it could be in an office. It could be when you're in a kitchen, right? And we need light to illuminate and highlight pieces 
pieces of artwork, right? And I, I want to talk to you a little bit about ambient light and layering light. So let's kind of start with those things. And then we can kind of get into how things are now controlled more with remote and that type of thing. Sure, we can talk about that simultaneously. But let's just talk about sort of the different kinds of light that we need in our home and how you help you know, integrate that into yeah. those areas. Of course, everyone wants to be able to walk into a room, flip a switch and light the room. That's ambient lighting that comes from many different sources. It can be a combination of sources when you come to the dimming capabilities and hand in hand goes the integration. And that's another conversation we can have about bringing those task lights to a certain setting. You know, the ceiling light, whether it be surface mounted fixtures or cove lighting or recess lights, something coming from above set to a certain level. But the Mm -hmm. intuitiveness of walking into a room, flipping a switch to light ambiently can be done so creatively. And it's also very personal. Some people prefer only indirect lighting. Some people prefer a combination. Mm -hmm. And now they have lots of opportunities to get creative with architecture. So the market, again, is so interesting and changing as we speak. You know, task light, to go back to task light, of course, every Mm -hmm. surface. One of my colleagues always says, I love when she speaks about task lighting. She's like, you only need lighting where you need it. Ah. When people tend to put in a grid of recess lights, you know, in a kitchen or a grid Mm -hmm. of lights in a Mm -hmm. family room, you really Mm -hmm. only need down lights or task lights where you're sitting, where you want to read, where you want to play, where you want to, you know, have that pool of lights. Mm -hmm. And the lighting design field is, you know, a combination of art and science. So you can Mm -hmm. play with the shadows, you can play with the pools of lights. Mm -hmm. And that's the fun part. This is the fun part of any job. Yeah, because in a kitchen, too, there's also undercounter lighting, right? Correct. Always undercounter yeah. lighting because you need right. that task. And, you know, manipulating the cabinetry, maybe, you know, with the architectural plan, doing some indirect lighting or more than likely there's an island or a peninsula in the kitchen. We must have direct light over that because that is usually typically the vortex of a home. Everyone's no matter, you know, what type of lifestyle you're always around your island in the kitchen. Someone's on one side cooking, the other one's having a glass of wine or feeding kids or whatever Mm -hmm. they're doing. So Mm -hmm. that area is, is really, I call it the vortex, but it's sort of the most important part Yeah, because, you know, my point is you may have a chandelier over the kitchen table where you eat, maybe even combined with some recess lighting, but then over the island where there could be the stove, potentially the cooktop, like mine has the cooktop, it's really important and I cook a lot that I have good task lighting there. So, and what I mean by that is the light has to be of a certain brightness for me there. It has to downlight a certain way so that when I see what I'm cooking, so it's a different lighting experience than when I'm sitting and eating at my kitchen table. And it's a different lighting experience from even five or 10 years ago. So the lighting fixtures that you have there now that may not be the solution. So the market now allows for the perfect color temperature, the perfect dimming capabilities, the intensification by manipulating the beam spread. If the ceiling is eight and a half feet versus 10 and a half feet, I'm going to use a different optic. So oh, that, totally. Yeah. So people understand, well, I have seven recess lights in my room and it's just not bright enough. Well, yes. look at the light bulb or the optic, or in this case, it would be a light bulb. Someone hasn't you know, done an installation for a long time. Yep. Just by taking that light bulb and replacing it with a narrow beam with the same lumen output, but just yes. the narrow, well, the same wattage, I can't say lumen output, the same wattage with a narrow beam allows for 
more lumen output. Yep. So this is the fun way to play and to solve. I'm solving a lot of problems. I'm solving a lot of miscommunication. So with the yeah. chaos that's going on right now with different mm-hmm. types of drivers and different types of color and people say, I don't want LED because, you know, they were early adopters and they're, they're stuck with, yeah. you know, low CRI and poor color temperatures. Now it's gotten so much better. It's basically 100% of my repertoire is LED. There's nothing else for mm-hmm. architectural lighting. For decorative lighting, I'm still using incandescent bulbs here or there for you know decorative sconces when you when you want that warm to dim or uh, yeah for other reasons. Mm-hmm. But mostly everything is decided, you know, specified, decided, and installed without an issue. Yeah. So I had a question about that. So a lot of the LED, one of the bigger complaints is the light is very white. It's almost too white and people want it warmer. And I believe there is an LED bulb that gives a bit warmer light. I just heard it and I'm not remembering right now, but you might know. What is the one that gives you a little bit warmer feel? The more common um, Kelvin temperature is 2700. Okay. I was going to say. Right. Okay. those are the two numbers that people talk about. Yes. Um, but there's also 2400K and 2200K for mill work and things like that when you just want to glow. Yeah. Um, I'm working with all the color temperatures, all of them. Okay. There's no standard. So okay. just like there's no standard drivers or transformers or that type of thing, there's no, everything is, depends on the manufacturer and the engineering of the particular okay. fixture. Yeah, I think I had heard on a design podcast something like 3000 or lower gives you that warmer feeling. So that would that's kind of right in line with what I heard. Yeah. That's when I come to the second part. I was talking about design. The second yeah. part is the specification. The actual specification process has, has also changed. There used to be mm-hmm. a time where I would say, hey, meet me at this showroom, lighting showroom, and we'll go look at the different fixtures and we'll be done with it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist anymore. First of all, there's very few showrooms and they just mm-hmm. can't keep up with the technologies. They just can't. So yeah. luckily, because I've been in the business and I have wonderful relationships with so many vendors, they're very generous and very committed communicative, they send me samples and I do what they call mock-ups for all of my jobs. So after a design concept meeting where I get everybody excited about, you know, this concept or that concept that they may not have heard of, I schedule a second meeting. And during that second meeting, I'm actually bringing fixtures with me. I'm not bringing crystal chandeliers or, or decorative, you know, things, but anything architectural I'm yeah. able to bring with me and I'm able to come to the space plug it in and hold it up. Mm -hmm. And that's when we talk about color temperature and beam spread and placement and CRI, which is the Christmas. And you can actually see the difference right in situ. And that's great. It's just, it's been a life lifesaver. It really has. Definitely. And then, you know, I know the big thing is for everybody to be able to have dimmers. So we let's talk a little bit about dimming systems and then how these light systems are controlled in your house, whether you do them remotely or not. So I would just like your take on that as well. Yes. Well, there was a time, I have to say, when it came to integration, Mm -hmm. I would say about 15, 20 years ago at this point right now, where my clients would say, can you please remove the system? It's just driving me bonkers. Yeah. And you always hear the horror stories about someone who did a renovation and is really unhappy with their controls. Yeah. But I can say consistently, consistently within the last eight or you know, six to eight years, there are no issues. Not on my jobs. I 
explain to the clients, you know, this is a, you know, a situation where you just need communication. So the manufacturers have, you know, dimming testing, which Mm -hmm. helps a lot with our engineering department. But Mm -hmm. also if you're hiring someone who is familiar with the capabilities and the differences between the different drivers and Mm -hmm. an an integrator who Mm -hmm. I work with, those are my people, Mm -hmm. those are my members, it's flawless. And I do tell my clients, the ones that are skittish, that when they're designed you know, intuitively, they should be very, very friendly, for very easy. And on my mm-hmm. jobs, they are. I've had nothing but success stories. But when yeah. someone's buying a house or an apartment at this point in 2020 and beyond, it's almost a given for resale value. They mm-hmm. must do something. Maybe they don't want all the bells and whistles. Maybe they don't want their toaster oven to go on, you know, with a yeah. command. But <laughs> yeah. when it comes to house off, house on, you know, just settings or there's no argument from yeah. anyone who's going to buy a home at this point will look for that. We'll look for the integration. So that is definitely a trend then in lighting for sure. For sure. Right? For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was, and I talked to these integrators, I talked to these guys, they're mostly guys, and I explained to them, listen, let's start off with the bells and whistles, but mm-hmm. we, we can tone it down a little bit, make it friendly, make it residential friendly, make sure that everyone, even a visitor or a nanny or someone or can be very friendly to the mm-hmm. system mm-hmm. so that everybody, kids, you know, on their iPads, they can have control too. Mm -hmm. And it is working. I'll tell you, there are more success stories than what you hear maybe out there in the field. So So basically it could be controlled either right from the wall or from an iPhone, iPad type situation. And some people, yes, iPad, wall, and also people like a handheld control. Yeah. I tell the integrators, don't be shy. Sell them a a tabletop. They have the remote for the TV right next to the Mm -hmm. remote can be you know, or it can be one integrated, you know, remote control for lighting and and sound. So, okay. or desk people like desktop, you know, tabletop for their for their bedside. They don't want to get out of bed or turn around to look at a wall. They just want to push a button. And maybe yeah, that's so nice. Yeah, maybe their phone isn't on their tabletop, you know, their end table. So yeah. they have a little, you know, surface mounted handheld remote, and they can push a button. Or they right. can obviously, what's most important is the voice control. Yeah. And I won't say her name because something will happen in my apartment right now. Ah. The idea of the Echo has really, or any Siri service has really taken, I don't think I've turned on uh, anything in my apartment lighting wise in years. I haven't touched a lamp in many years. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So the, the technology and the capabilities, I think it's important for people to understand the way it applies to our phones and computers and audio. Now, everyone needs to remember your lighting now gets integrated in all of this, too. Of so that's yes. I just think that's important for people to recognize. And having said that, so with, you know, people buying a lot of new homes and they're buying everything from a new build to just constructed to a colonial that might've been built in the sixties, seventies, eighties, and had some updating or not. So let's talk about the difference of when you're planning your lighting system for new construction versus coming into an existing house. When you're coming into an existing house, are you going to be limited on what you might be able to do? Because there's only going to be so many walls you could potentially, you know, or a ceiling that you're willing to sort of rip into to get things installed. I don't know. So I just wanted to, you know, have you discuss the comparisons there? 
of course, when I when someone calls me for a new job, I always ask them, you know, about the architecture and if it's an existing condition. I always ask them because some people don't realize that in order to move things around or replace a fixture, it's, it's surgical. They need a, right. they, they need to be willing to do some type of invasion, invasive right. procedures. That was my point. Yes. Yeah, which include, <laughs> yes, which includes you know preparing the electrical with the licensed electrical contractor, but also taping and plastering and painting from the contracting team. It's a team effort, but if they're willing to poke a hole or move something, then they can open up the possibilities okay. um, that for any existing condition. And believe me, I've worked in, you know, cement slabs and, and everything in between. So, you know, homes in the suburbs and where you're working, it's actually easier much easier to do those surgical procedures because you're in sheetrock and pulling lines and Mm -hmm. uh, can be done. Mm -hmm. So the capabilities in an existing home, you have them. It's a matter of if you're willing to do some of the work. And I will say the work isn't like you said, when you talk about cutting a hole in sheetrock, it's not so terrible because it can be patched very easily and repainted very easily. So I'm sure it depends on the extent to which, you know, and how many different areas you're going into, but it's not, it's not such a horrible thing. And my point with new construction was, I believe while you're in construction, that is a key time to plan for all these things and things with integrators. So what I wanted to impart upon the audience was, you know, when you're building a new home, having that plan while you are building is so critical, I think, versus waiting for all the walls to get sealed up because of what we just spoke about. So that's what I wanted you to talk a little bit about as well with construction. Yeah. So when I start with new construction, typically the architect is the first point of contact after the the second point of contact after the end user or whoever's bringing me into the job. And we sit down with a plan and they give me the uh, reflected ceiling plan. And according to that, we'll talk about all the lighting concepts. And uh, like I say, there's always a plan A, plan B, and plan C. Sometimes mm-hmm. there's not a plan D when you're talking about structural things and limits of space and height of ceilings and slopes of ceilings and all types of skylights and other things that happen. But to get into the discussion from the beginning is a gift really to a job because this way you can really... Also, starting off the conversation with lighting you know, introduces other conversations. So mm-hmm. when I get the architect and interior designers you know, jazzed with just a, an RCP starting to red mark and throw ideas, then that piques their interest. Oh, if I did a you know vertical LED here, then I would move the furnishings this way or that way. Or maybe we maybe we do a textured wall and you know as a feature, and then we can light it. Or you know elevations when it comes mm-hmm. to uh, we were, you were talking about art lighting. If I mm-hmm. see an elevation and there's a particular piece, or maybe there's a placeholder that, you know, for a salon installation, many pieces, or one large piece, or, you know, family photos and series, then we can talk about all the different concepts for art lighting. Mm -hmm. And that comes, you know, at the beginning, that can come, you know, we can really make some features that add to the ambient light, sometimes it can add to the task light, it adds to many layers. Yeah. And that's really my point is that it has to be part of the conversation. I mean, so many times I've gone into brand new built, beautiful homes and even the homeowner will be like, I don't know why we only have X amount of lights in here. Or I don't know why in the dining room, I only have one junction box for a fixture that has one or two bulbs and I have no other light in here. 
And, and again, they're beautifully done, built, architecturally wonderful, all, the whole thing. And sometimes these little details get forgotten that are really very important once you move in and you have to live in the space. So that's why I wanted to bring that up. I think it's really important. Yeah, that's a typical call that I get. You know, right? we just bought this home, we just bought this apartment, and it's uh, it amazes me, you know, the price that I've paid and the bedrooms have a switch on the wall that governs the receptacle. Right. But when it comes and that's it. But when it yes. comes to you know, when it comes to new builds, you know, the developers, the code is just that. I mean, they get away with that by they're fulfilling the lighting code mm-hmm. by supplying one you know, duplex receptacle, you know, mm-hmm. that's governed by one switch on the wall. So yeah. and then how do you live? Well, you can plug lamps in. But most people at this point want to you know, hire someone like me to get creative and poke a hole and move things around. And then they're good. You know, I'm designing for, I'm not designing for the two to five years. I'm designing for five, 10, 15 years. This stuff is design concepts and fixtures are meant to last. So this is a whole new way of designing. Yeah, I think it's just important, you know, for to say to the, you know, to our listeners to be thoughtful about it and ask the questions because, you know, in the end, after you move in, you don't want to be stuck with like, oh gosh, this room is so dark or it doesn't have this. So I think that's just a really important point to bring up. And just to circle back for a minute for artwork, because people have this question a lot. Is there anything specific you recommend to illuminate artwork? What tips do you have about that? Oh, there's so many wonderful concepts to light art. The fixtures themselves have come such a long way. If you go into, I mean, you'll, you'll, you can see my website and my other presence online, but okay. lighting some magnificent things, the color temperature, the CRI, the control, even from a typical picture lights yes. that you would see, you know, with an extruded, you know, an extruded metal tube has come such a long way. And just to, just to make everyone understand, there's no longer a heat factor. Mm-hmm. So when I'm lighting fine art, I don't have to worry anymore. UV filters, this, you know, the optics are already filtered and there's no heat and they're far enough away as well. So lighting art can come from the ceiling, depending on the, the circle of lights. Mm-hmm. It can come from a linear, you know, linear feed, mono points, and then mm-hmm. the ever popular art light or picture light. It's, you know, it's not your grandmother's picture light. It's come a very long way. And That's good to know. Both design and technologically. And you can Google around and see what I've done. And there's some beautiful installations. Some of the lights that are used in the ceiling recess to light art used to have, I don't know the best way to, but it had like a movable lens. So you could tilt it a certain way, which was very helpful eyeball. Well, but the more modern version, like not just through eye. Yeah, but it has an adjustable. Do they still recommend having an adjustable to aim properly? I'll tell you, I've received many calls where I'm moving my fixture. The the adjustable fixtures just don't adjust enough. That's what Um, I, yeah. Yes. I'm sure you've got where the circle only comes up half from the wall. So that, that is a factor of placement of the beam spread and the arcing of the bulb, right? Because it's a circle. It's an arc of lights so right. you know more popular you know when you want a clean ceiling most of the art is lighted by a wall washer which is a specific wash yes. of lights but that yes. has to be there's no adjustability so you have to be careful you have to lock it in you know the right way and yes. then there's also linear wall washers which mm-hmm. are becoming which are fantastic becoming more and more popular yes. and then when you do when you want that 
arcing of light or that dramatic circle of light that you don't get from a, a wall washer, then you just have to be careful about placing it. You place it closer to the wall, you know, depending on the, the height of the ceiling, depending where the art is placed. That way, when you have that 30 degree or 40 degree rotation, then you have some flexibility. Then, then you're not stuck. You can put that circle okay. of light up. But mostly you're going to get full control if you do something on the surface of the ceiling that comes out of the ceiling. Then you're never stuck. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to circle back to that because I know that comes up a lot. And I'm assuming just in general, you do recommend dimmers everywhere, right? Don't you think dimmers are important? Yes. I think so. I mean, at this point, it's so easy to just dim. I have have dimmers on any of my jobs. People say, oh, I really don't have to dim the bathroom. I really don't have to dim the kitchen. I want, no, believe me, you're going to want to kick it down. Even 20% makes a difference, you know, and you can set it that way with a control. You can set it at 20% or this is the way LED technology is forgiven. Say, oh, this is too white or this is too this. Well, you can, with controls, you can preset. So that's another another plug for for control. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so the other thing I wanted to chat with you about was, you know, we talked briefly about, you know, other decorative fixtures that a designer might bring in like chandeliers or sconces or whatever. Usually, is it, is it okay with whatever we bring in? Or once we bring it in, you're going to want to recommend a certain bulb has to go in there to balance what you've done. Are there any kind of do's or don'ts in regard to other fixtures that we're purchasing that are more decorative in the home? Yeah, I think every interior designer that I work with sort of wants me to take another, you know, wants another set of eyes. Some of them invite me to participate in the design, actually the scale, design, customization of decorative fixtures. Even if I'm not participating in the in the actual choosing of the fixtures, the designers that I work with know that I have wonderful relationships with small studios, with makers. New York City, you know, our area has Mm -hmm. so many lovely studios that I bring my clients in and do tours of, and they can see actually how things are made, finishing and, and creating. So they do ask me to participate in that. And then for sure, when it comes to the integration or the dimming capabilities, they'll give me the spec and then they're hands off and they'll let me be the interpreter to, you know, from this particular decorative fixture, just like I'm doing with the architectural stuff, to the integrator so that everything dims smoothly. If there's an issue as far as extra wires to be chosen or a different driver to be specified, I'll alert the troops and make sure that it, you know, I, just an extra set of eyes on the technical side of decorative, the new decorative applications is, is very helpful. So I'm able to, to, to save a lot of that. Sure. And then if it's a situation where perhaps the lighting system's installed, whatever, and on occasion, a client just on their own after they're done working with the designer, working with whatever, they may have to replace or order a decorative light fixture on their own, a chandelier or whatever. Would you just recommend as far as the bulbs they put in, whatever the manufacturer recommends? Sometimes I change them. Depends. Okay. I'll ask them okay. for the spec and sometimes I don't like a tapered. In other words, for, for a, I was just thinking of an installation I'm doing now with a, a clear Murano glass, very traditional chandelier that mm-hmm. we're actually using over a very modern table, but it's just mm-hmm. to, to play on the design. Instead of using the standard tapered, it's called a B-type torpedo-shaped candelabra bulb, we're using, yes. round, we're using the round type, the round bulbs. Right. Right. And it just looks a little bit more sophisticated, a little bit different, and we're not going to clip a shade on so it's going to be a bare bowl right and so i do participate in that conversation yes okay but we should follow the wattage guidelines i guess from the manufacturer right oh sure yeah okay yeah that's what i meant and then yeah people should know they have options like whether it's clear whether it's frosted 
you know, whether it's the torpedo shape, whether it's the candlelight shape, there are those choices available now, which is really nice. Let's touch on outdoor lighting because I think you get involved in that. I think, you know, outdoor is definitely something, especially when people move to the suburbs, you know, at night it can be really dark and you can feel a little bit like you're in a fishbowl. I find having some illumination outside really helps the inside feel better, especially at night. You also want to be able to, from a functional standpoint, make sure your walkway is lit properly, the garage area where you're coming in just so that people can see and no one trips. So it has a functional, you know, basis, but also I think it makes a very big difference as far as the room setting, especially at night. Yeah. I, I love outdoor applications. I think yeah. that we get so creative with that type of aspect of the job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my motto for outdoor lighting is, is basically less is more, mm-hmm. um, meaning, you know, a very small wattage, you know, in a dark outdoor space goes a very long way. So when it's done purposefully, and carefully, the outdoor, you know, landscape installations and patio installations can be so spectacular. There has been a trend. And if you, if you take a look at some of the design magazines coming from, from Germany, from Italy, from Spain, you'll see that there are some fixtures, actual fixtures that are, that look like lamps, but mm-hmm. they're for outdoor application. So yeah. there are some interesting designs. So it almost looks like a lamp with a shade on it, but it can be bolted down or it can be moved around and it just makes a warm, fuzzy feeling. And it's just a fun way of designing outdoor fixtures instead. And, and in collaboration with the spots on the trees and, and linear aspects in flower boxes or window treatments, that type of thing. Yeah, I was going to say uplighting trees is a nice thing to do too. And that's always part of it. But like I said, less is more. Like subtleties of that can be very elegant when it gets Mm -hmm. too blasting and then it looks, you know, it doesn't look as beautiful. Also, there's another whole market to do with the new technologies, which is the rechargeable. Mm -hmm. So there are rechargeable designs, rechargeable Mm -hmm. fixtures that last eight or 10 hours for outdoor application. That's Um, great. They're really sweet. And I use them on all my jobs. Is there anything particular going on with decks and patios for lighting? The same, you know, you always have the, um, maybe a sconce that's attached to the outdoor, to the architecture of the, of the house. Of the house, yeah. And then anything that is like a stair, you know, a deck that goes down a stairs, I'm doing linears for that, mm-hmm. but very subtle, very subtle. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not overselling the fixtures in that application. I'm actually toning them down. Yeah. I mean, maybe the goal is to have a glow, right? Versus a, I mean, obviously we all have one, like it's handy to have, you know, a motion light over the garage for bright light, sometimes late at night. You know, there's a, there's a certain amount of that maybe, but it goes on only when needed. But yes, for sort of a beautiful setting, I I understand your point where it should just be sort of a beautiful glow and not something so jarring. Correct. We've all been to outdoor barbecues where there's inevitably that spotlight that's attached right. to the house that's glaring right. in someone's face and you have to move your chair over you know right. six feet over this way but those can be adjusted with sensors you know motion sensors and timers and you know settings in other words okay entertaining outdoor entertainment so the blasting light goes off and the subtle light goes on and then right. you have the inside of the home right 
Because having a security light is a different thing. You know, sometimes we have one, it's at the tip top of the house. It's very bright. But on a couple of occasions, like if you heard something in the back or whatever, you want a bright light to be like, what's back there? Or what's yeah. going on? But it's not what you want to sit under when you're having a party. Yeah, yeah. So it's a good distinction for sure to make. So another way, another way of being creative with lighting. Yeah. Yeah. So if you had to leave a couple takeaways with our listeners about lighting, what would they be? Whether it's a trend or whether just something to keep in mind, I'd love to have you just leave a couple tips before I allow you to let everybody know where they can find you. I can say that lighting technology has come such a long way and you can get so creative before thinking that it's too expensive or too overwhelming. Really think about that and look at magazines, look what's happening. The most beautiful lighting installations are architectural. Yes, mm-hmm. the, there's always a main event, a chandelier or in a dining room or foyer, but if you look around the rooms in contemporary design forward you know, installations, mm-hmm. you see a very subtle, sophisticated, elegant lighting installation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, now more than ever, well, I talk about a lot of things with our home being not an expense, but an investment. And I think particularly now that we are home more and the home is operating as so many other things, it's the school, it's the office, it's the library, it's the gym, it's the catering hall, it's the everything, you know, having the proper lighting makes a very big difference. And especially when you think about even just the simple working from home, right? And having the proper lighting to do the kind of work that we need to do. So I think, you know, now more than ever, again, it's not an expense, it's an investment, both in your lifestyle and how we function throughout the day. And as you said, you know, people are looking for it in homes when you go to sell the home or when you go to buy a home. So I think that's important too. So having said that, I'll close the show by having you let listeners know where they can find you, any social media platforms, websites, et cetera. We also will include it in the show notes. So anyone can click on the episode and find you by clicking there as well, but I'll let you take it away with that. Great. My website is my name, Stacey with an I, R-U-I-Z, StaceyRuiz.com. I'm on Instagram, also at my name and LinkedIn, which is also a nice way to find me I'm on House. Everyone knows House, H-O-U-Z-Z, with um, a lot of photographs and reviews to get to the bottom of how I work and, and the process. I'm on Brownstoner, Franklin Report. If you Google my name, I'll be all over the place. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Yeah. So again, it was a pleasure having you today. You are full of information and I think your job is such an important one and your expertise that you bring to the table is invaluable to the home design overall. So I really thank you for coming today. Thank you so much, Jill, for having me and giving me the opportunity. You're welcome. I'll talk to you soon. And everybody, make sure you have enough light in your house. (laughs) Take care. (laughs) Bye. So that was great having an expert like Stacy. As I mentioned, you know, lighting design can be very complicated and very tricky. And as the years have gone by, it's gotten more so, as I mentioned, due to all the different things that are available in the marketplace. So having somebody like her to guide you, whether you're building a new home or need to adapt lighting in an existing home is a really critical piece in getting it done right, really does make all the difference in the world. So 
I hope this was helpful. This is, you know, everything from people in the trade can, you know, utilize her services as well as realtors, as well as you, the homeowner, as well as interior designers. She's just really a great resource and a great expert in the field. So I hope you enjoyed listening to her as much as I did. And I think we had some, you know, good takeaways and learned a little bit about trends in lighting and its importance in our home. So thanks so much. And from my home to yours, I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Welcome Home to the Suburbs. Head over to jillcalmaninteriors.com to learn more about designing a beautiful new home while minimizing the stress of moving. See you back here next week.